should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we want the abyss to stare back. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who no longer sleeps in Rallier. Benedict, what was your favorite Super Bowl moment? Uh, of this year? Of, of, of yesterday. Of it was yesterday, yesterday as um, we record. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Uh, I and I know you watched because I, I saw your live tweet of it. I, the live tweet. Um, I would say the rocks mismatching outfit would have to be have to be my favorite. Fine, fine. Uh, what about you? I have to say, better the best part. The best part of the Super Bowl was Charlie Kirk's tweet. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Forget the Super Bowl. Nothing about it matters. Halftime show was great, obviously. We're in that age demographic where that was right up our alley. Oh, yeah. The halftime show was the best halftime show I've seen in ages. I mean, the Prince halftime show. Maybe since Prince, yeah. Pretty legendary. Because everyone going into that was like, Prince? Really? You got Prince? And then he fucking blew our minds. Was ever I I was super excited for Prince. Yeah. I was super excited for Prince. I don't know who you were. I know Legendary. you were you were a right wing dickhead at the time, probably. I so was, but my dad is from Minnesota, uh, uh, okay. and he's from Minneapolis, and so is Prince. So it's it was sort of like a a whole thing, you know. I, I can't describe it any better than that, really. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Yes. Yes. Charlie Kirk's tweet, uh, probably the best part of the Super Bowl: sexual anarchy. Yeah, uh, which is that's... funny because I I mean I tweeted today, like. It was the least sexual performance that there was. Unless he's just really into like middle-aged rappers. If you ever watched a rap music video in the 90s when, you know, there was no choreography, the producer just said, okay, now bounce that ass while I record. To Dr. Dre. Yes, yes, to Dr. Dre. If you've listened to the Chronic If you could make your ass bounce in rhythm with the lowrider, that would be incredible. (laughs) Oh, you don't even need to do it in rhythm. They just just do slow-mo on the video. God damn it. He's complaining about that halftime show? Yeah. Was it Mary J. Blige wasn't wearing a burqa, so he was upset? Yeah, I mean, her boots were like upper thigh high, too. Those boots, son. Jesus, that was a great halftime show, really, though. That was fantastic. It was. It was very good. But could have been more Kendrick for me. Could have been more Kendrick. Yeah, I, I, I could have taken it or leave it. I thought the show was fantastic. I thought it was just everything it needed to be. It was yeah. great. Okay. But but Super Bowl halftime shows are not the reason why we are here today. We are, of could course, be. here because this is the show where we go deep, 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 deep. All right. You know, put a rap beat underneath that. Uh, to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, 
Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do. And my hot take is that it's really easy to have hot takes when you've been on Twitter all week. As <laughs> listeners know, uh, I am back on Twitter as NYGBC Ben. You can follow me there. But Desperate plea for followers. Yeah, absolutely desperate plea for followers. <laughs> I have single digit followers at the moment. I would like to get to at least double digits. So please follow me. Um, but you make it seem like you put all this thought into your hot takes. I went back and looked at all your hot takes. They've all been on Twitter. And I agree <laughs> with myself that it's like I, I put okay. a hot take out yesterday. Oh, they should have left the Super Bowl one extra week so that it could be before President's Day. Yeah, okay, that's a great hot take. I expand significantly no, you upon don't. the 280 you characters. You absolutely do not. Not yes, really. Yes, I do. Not Absolutely yeah, but not I in an in interesting, not in an interesting way. You could have just left wow. it at 280 characters. Wow. Yeah, that exactly. Hurt. It's that better. Hurt. It would be better if you left them at 280 characters. Man, if I respected your opinion, this would be rough. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> What's your hot take then? And it better not be one I've already fucking seen. Nope, Benedict. My hot take this week: the Super Bowl gets less entertaining as I get older. I think okay. for a lot of people. They lean more on sports as a crutch to have a personality as they get older and their life slowly withers away and they have children and nothing else fun to exist for. Uh, but for me, I I got to say, I didn't really enjoy the game. It's a great game. You don't really watch football anymore, right? No, I don't really all that much. I just just didn't really care all that much. It's like, yeah, it's fun. I, you know, I played football in high school. I know the game reasonably well, like any American male would um and of course i i like watching grown men crash into each other that's always fun and there were some good plays there were some good stuff exciting moments but i just even though i live in st louis and you know the whole issue with the rams leaving this city mm. i just i just don't care just didn't didn't really get into it maybe if it was one of my teams uh and and i might get more excited but just just really couldn't get down with it so sort of bored but benedict why don't we move on? Housekeeping. Mm. Remember, of course, to rate and review us on iTunes and all the other places where you can find us. And I wanted to address uh, what one of our listeners uh, mentioned to me on Twitter a little way, a little while ago. And that was, I think it was Jack Frost, who uh, mentioned when I tweeted out, or I think the auto-tweet that goes out whenever the show gets posted, he mentioned, uh, you guys are still on Spotify? Which, <laughs> we are. We are still yeah. on Spotify. Um, and, uh, I've, I don't think we've talked about this, Benedict, much we haven't. off the air. I've made a couple of jokes about Spotify over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I do generally support, uh, you know, people who are like, fuck Spotify, I'm taking my stuff off there. Generally, I support that. Uh, for us, as a small podcast, if we were to move off of Spotify, we would lose a significant portion of our audience who are too lazy to follow us over to a new podcasting, mm-hmm. uh, platform where they listen from. Uh, and I generally do uh, believe that what we do on this show is somewhat important. In a small degree, I think it matters that people are able to hear what we're doing. Um, and while I understand that people are going to listen on Spotify, I will encourage, uh, you know, I will encourage you to go listen somewhere else. There's any number of different podcast apps you could download and get our show from. Uh, most of them are free. You don't even have to pay. Mm-hmm. The other part of that is, of course, that Spotify makes money off of our show, and we don't get a dime of that. Uh, unlike uh, Apple iTunes or any of the other apps out there that uh, don't put ads on or don't require a membership fee, Spotify makes money off of us even though we get nothing from them. Uh, and so, you know, I'm a, a little bit salty about that in addition to all the other bullshit that they're constantly doing. So 
I would encourage anyone who is listening to us currently on Spotify to move over somewhere else. And I'm just going to say we're probably going to stay on Spotify because, A, new listeners are going to want to find us. And I, I think that's good. And then they'll hear me saying to get off of Spotify. Great. And also, um, you know, it's a whole fucking process to get taken off of Spotify. And maybe I'm just too lazy to do that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I do also think, like... You know, if everyone wants to follow us on Patreon and and fund our show and and make us able to be off Spotify, that's absolutely fine. We will do that immediately. But we like we just can't like discoverability. Unfortunately, the Spotify algorithm is is what gets us listeners as much as as much as anything. So yeah. So if you want to you know do that whole thing and imagine us as a counterpoint to Joe Rogan and his mm-hmm. millions of listeners, which we have nowhere close to, that's great. You can think of it that way. But, uh, you know, go ahead and spread the show. Try and help us get a few more listeners out there. Benedict! Mm. Also, in addition, new ad to the Spooky World New World Order this week. Benedict, I have to say, this is probably uh, maybe our best addition ever to the Spooky World New World Order. Benedict, I am adding Charlie Kirk to the Spooky World New World Order this week. (laughs) Can we not tell him? New World Spooky World Order. (laughs) Is that just for making you laugh? Nice. So, for making me laugh so goddamn hard at the right. dumbest thing a human being has ever fucking said. Cool. Sexual anarchy. And you know what? That's not the first time. I, I feel like, I don't remember who, but in the last, I don't know, six months to a year, someone else has said or tweeted sexual anarchy. Oh, it's like, a, I think it's like a gen. I think it's probably a scheduled tweet from Charlie Kirk every year. <laughs> I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he, uh, I, he probably was like, yeah, it'll probably be sexual anarchy. I'm not even going to watch it. And then my tweet will go viral. And then it did, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Absolutely, Benick. So, Charlie Kirk, for that, he's now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. Nice. Um, nice. So- nice. Nice. That's just going to get... That drop is going to get longer and longer. It's going to get longer and longer. Also, Benedict... Okay, one as second. requested... I, I have the I'm Olymp- not a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, I have the Olympics on in the background because I forgot to turn it off uh-huh. before I started recording. Yes. And there is a snowboarder. You pay no respect to our Shut show. Up. One second. Look, I'm going to say something funny. So obviously don't interrupt me. <laughs> there is a snowboarder named Max Parrot. First of all, which is amazing. Max Parrot. And then it was like okay, stance. It's, it's more, more than minimum parrot. More than minimum pair. And his yeah. his labeled stance was Goofy. So just the Olympics is really out there doing it. Are you thing. not aware that Goofy Foot is the name of a... Have you never skateboarded in your life? Kevin, do I strike you as the type of person <laughs> that might have okay. ever skateboarded Did in you never life? play Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 no. as a kid? <laughs> How did you not? How did, How did you make it to adulthood without playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? Because I am who I am. And I was reading fucking Dostoevsky when I was 12, yeah, not playing yeah, Tony yeah, Hawk's. Yeah, you pretentious so. asshole. Yeah. But anyways. Anyway, so oh, what's goofy? Is it like being like being Southpaw in boxing? Is like standing it, yeah, the wrong yeah, way around? It's, it's rather than left foot forward, it's that's, right foot forward. That's such that's, a fucking skateboarder way. Oh, what you yep. doing? Standing all Go- goofy. Goofy footed, man. <laughs> Have you seen Sean White? That motherfucker's goofy. Yeah, of course he is. Uh, anyway, anyways, what if was you I would like about? to be added to our spooky world, New World Order, of course, you can tweet about the show, post about it on social media, send me a screenshot, let us know somehow that you did, uh, leave us a five-star review, whatever you can, and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Become a patron, of course, is always a way. Or, as Charlie Kirk did this week, get my attention with something fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Benedict, all that out of the way, it is time for us to get down to this week's topic. And I think, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, everyone out there knows, especially since, you know, it's always the title of the episode for the week, so it shouldn't be like it's some sort of great mystery. But, Benedict, we are finally done with the last book we were doing, which by this point I have forgotten the name of, and we... (laughs) God and Man at Yale by William F. Buckley. You got it. And we are on to our next book, American Marxism Mm -hmm. by Mark Levin, which means it's this this week we are taking a look at the man himself, Mr. Levin. And he Mm -hmm. is, I have to say right off the top, scarier than any other author that we have done before. Really? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Unlike Glenn Beck, who Glenn Beck um, is a a sociopath. He's a crazy person. He believes some batshit insane things. Glenn Beck, when you listen to his delivery and his performance and what he's saying, Mm. you can tell that there is an underlying agenda there that is to, you know, sell gold and food buckets and all that kind of bullshit and to generally get people to hate Democrats and and believe uh, that they should be voting for Republicans. Okay. Mark Levin is that, but screaming. Okay. Screaming very loudly. This man loves to yell. And it is very frightening because the addition of that tone of the yelling inspires people to a different form of anger and hatred and action Mm. that is very worrying to me. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about the guy. We're going to play a lot of clips, and I'll get to the clips and what's going on there when we get near the end of this. But you'll see, I hope we come out of this. I hope by the end of this book, Benedict, you are as frightened of Mark Levin as I am. I really hope that that's the result. I'm sure I will be. And not only because he looks like he thought it would be a career booster to copy Danny DeVito's portrayal of the Penguin, but as a lifestyle. (laughs) Like, mainly, like, the just... If you look at a picture of Mark Levin, he has... Like, bags around his eyes look like he just drew them on with eyeliner. The man must not be sleeping. But Mark Reed Levin was born September 21st, 1957. He is 64 years old right now. Okay. In Philadelphia to a Jewish family. His father's name is Jack E. Levin. And the only information I could find about his mother was actually from his his father's About the Author page on the Simon & Schuster website. Um... Levin sort of hasn't gotten the biographical attention and scrutiny that many of our other authors and mm-hmm. certainly much bigger figures have. And I think it's amazing that he hasn't, the more I look into him, how few people on the left actually know about him compared to how absolutely toxic and popular he is on the right. It's really worrying to me. But the only thing I've noticed where, about- where is he? He's a radio host, right? He is a radio host, yes. Okay. So where is he just like just on AM radio? Is that the... Well, he's on. So he's on uh, Fox. I, I can't remember what their radio broadcasting network is. It's not Fox Nation, I don't think. Maybe, but uh, Fox, the Fox Radio Network. Uh, that's it, Fox Radio Network. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on there. He also has his own uh, show, Levin, on The Blaze. We'll get to okay. how that came about in a little bit. Uh, and of course, he now has a weekend show that started in 2018 on Fox News called Life, Liberty, and Levin, which is <laughs> just. <laughs> A pretentious pile of shit, isn't it? Yeah. It's fantastic. The only thing of note I could really find about his dad is that he authored several books, all of them either titled With Mark Levin or With a Foreword by Mark Levin. Okay. Which tells you, you know, this guy probably wasn't making it on his own merits as far as the publishing world goes. So when when did that start? 
I didn't look at the dates, actually. I didn't I didn't pull up the dates, and I don't have that window open. But I can tell you the names of the books that he published, sure, let's if do you it. like. Yep. Uh, Malice Towards None, which is about Lincoln's second inaugural address. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not bad. Yep. George Washington, colon, The Crossing. Okay, about the, about crossing the Washington the Crossing, Delaware. presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, Illustrated. Ooh. Benedict, that... That like, speech is like three paragraphs. Like, yeah, it's not a long <laughs> somehow, speech. It's a famously short speech. <laughs> somehow he found a way to turn that into is it, an is illustrated it, book. Is it just a painting? Like a single painting? Line. There has to be a, a illustration for every single sentence. I can't imagine another way that you would make a book Isn't out of like that. Isn't it like 300 words? I don't like, remember. But yeah, it is a famously short speech. You're right. So I don't, I don't know how he turned that into that. And then Benedict... Three children's books, My Dog Spot, Proverbs oh. for Young People, and Our Police. So That's not are... the famous, like, Spot the Dog, right? This is... No, no, okay, no. Okay. This is just My Dog Spot. It's probably an attempt to copycat, and it probably has some crypto-fascist ramblings in it for some reason. I don't know. I didn't manage to get a copy of that book, Benedict. Okay. Uh, maybe if someone wants. <laughs> Wants to gift me an ebook of that so I can look into what's in my dog spot. That'd be great. But Mark graduated from Cheltenham High School in 1974 in Pennsylvania. Cheltenham. After only. Shut up. Your wife is from Pennsylvania. After only three years, uh, he so he you know an year, a year early graduated from high school. He skipped his senior year and enrolled at Temple University Ambler. Mm-hmm. Which is not the main Temple University that you've probably heard of. In uh, it's a sub, yeah, it, it's a suburb campus that's technically separate. Has about three thousand students. Okay. He graduated magna cum laude in mm. 1977 from Temple University Ambler, then enrolled at Temple Law School, where he earned his JD in 1980. And in between that time, actually in 1977, right after graduating college, he was elected to the Cheltenham School Board on a platform of reducing property taxes. So he's that kind of book. Yeah. Sorry. What? Sorry. Immediately after graduating no, no, from college. Hold, no, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. Mm-hmm. The, he was elected to the school board on a platform of reducing property yes. taxes. At 19, when he had no children. Okay, well, not but. 19. How old would he have been then? 20, but, 21 But why, why does the school board. Why is that part of a school I board platform? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Does the school board get to I, set I, taxes I, on property? I what? don't know how Pennsylvania works. I know okay. in most places, school taxes are a complicated issue that may involve local governments in some ways. So they may have something to do with, you know, special excise taxes or property taxes that do fund the school district, something like that. I, I don't know. That's what he ran on. And that's apparently what he won on. But immediately after law school, he worked at Texas Instruments, the calculator people, before Mm -hmm. joining the Reagan administration. Oh, wow. All great dickheads do. How do you get into that? That, I I don't know. I I mean, I guess if you're in the school board. He must have known some people. He must have known some people. That's the because he did. I mean, Temple is not a terrible law school. You know, it's a middle rank law school. It's, It's not bad. Upper middle, I'd say. Um, and so he probably met some people there. You know, well, Dinesh D'Souza, all, a bunch of those people went to Dartmouth. Yeah. A bunch of those douchebags who ended up. I mean, the Reagan administration was just a great incubator for the malignant tumors on American discourse who have ruined our present day right now. Like, mm-hmm. so somehow they all made their way in there. I don't know if it's that they were bad before they got there or if it made them worse when they were in it, but somehow that always happened. 
But he began at Vista, which was a government organization that oversaw AmeriCorps, and it doesn't exist anymore. I think it was um, turned into something else in the 1990s, uh, but that's originally where he was. He then got shuffled around to be Deputy Assistant Secretary for Elementary and Secondary Education at the Department of Education, then Deputy Solicitor General at the Department of the Interior, and finally, Chief of Staff to Attorney General Edwin Meese, just all proof that political appointees never die. They just get shuffled around until they find a place where their incompetence is tolerated. Mm -hmm. Now, Meese was AG from 1985 to 1988, and in my estimation, should be remembered as one of the worst people to ever hold appointed office. He was largely responsible for the escalation of police violence against protesters at People's Park in Berkeley, which led to the murder by police of one student in 1969, who was just on their way to class and was not even part of the protest, and the eventual sending in of the National Guard to clear the park. Mm -hmm. In 1983, when he was asked about the need to balance spending cuts against the need to feed hungry children, he said that he had seen no quote-unquote authoritative evidence that children in America were going hungry, and that some of the allegations are purely political. When he was asked about soup kitchens, he said that, quote, Some people are going to soup kitchens voluntarily. I know we've had considerable information that people go to soup kitchens because the food is free, and that's easier than paying for it. Okay, so it's some welfare queenism it's on so, soup kitchens. Yeah, it's the Reagan administration. Of yeah. course it's some welfare <laughs> yeah, queen that's bullshit. The yeah, yeah, okay. In 1984, uh, there was a report released, which is colloquially known as the Meese Report, uh, and this is one that Reagan had tasked him to create, which was a comprehensive investigation into the effect of pornography on society, which is not surprising, given the right has an obsession with sexual anarchy mm -hmm. for as long as they've had sex workers to victimize. The report, the report was mostly highly scandalous and overblown screeching about pornography and how it's destroying society. There was some stuff in there that had some truth, which was, uh, you know, the pornography industry's connection to organized crime at the time, right? The 1980s. That's not crazy. Uh, but as best as I can tell, Levin met Wait till they hear about the construction industry. Jesus. <laughs> just wait. As best as I can tell, Levin left the Reagan administration when Meese was forced to resign for violating ethics rules concerning a company he was invested in and had close ties to. That was, I think, 1988. He's been a short time okay, in private so practice. so hold on. <laughs> yes. 1988, that is pretty late into the Reagan administration, I would say. Pretty late. Yes, this is true. Given that that uh, is when the Reagan administration ended. The last year. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, he then, uh, you, you know, he spent some time in private practice before joining the Landmark Legal Foundation. Private practice. Bills itself lawyering. Practice some lawyering. Yeah. Uh, it bills itself as a public interest law firm, but in truth is decidedly against what is actually in the public interest mm -hmm. in the tradition of a law well, who decides what's in the public interest kevin i do okay. in the tradition of a long line of conservative legal nonprofits, landmark landmark legal exists primarily to file frivolous lawsuits against democratic politicians mm -hmm. and any agency of the federal government that they can then fundraise off of claiming to be holding accountable we've heard plenty of this sort of thing in the past i think i don't remember who it was that cited a bullshit lawsuit that was filed against Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I, I want to say that was either Glenn Beck or might have been Donnie Jr. Maybe his book had that. And we went over how that lawsuit was just bullshit filed by Larry Klayman or something. I don't remember if that was the exact details. But a lot of these conservative legal organizations do just that. The results of these lawsuits don't matter. It's the fact that they filed them. 
that they then use to fundraise off of and, and make a bunch of hype about. They're sort mm-hmm. of like the less hype little brothers of Judicial Watch. Tom Fitton with his short sleeve shirts. Um, well, also, I mean, I mean, nowadays it probably does matter because then you can make it all the way to Supreme Court and you can get a surprise victory. Well, no, it still doesn't matter because none of these people are capable of actually doing that. Okay. Uh, and a lot of what they do is filing complaints with the IRS about nonprofits that they don't like. That's what Landmark Legal does now. Okay. Uh, so they've done this repeatedly to the National Education Association, which is the largest teachers union in the country, and they also file lawsuits against a variety of unions regularly they promote laws and lawsuits to allow public funding to go to private religious schools that's one of their big things of course um and in 1990 landmark legal sued to invalidate a tax that was meant to pay for the effect of segregation in kansas city they lost that uh during the clinton years they filed suit against the irs arguing it targeted conservative groups they lost they doesn't that one sound familiar right that's just one that that came back again under the obama years Uh, They filed for an injunction in 1999 to prevent the DOJ from investigating Kenneth Starr for his misconduct in the Clinton impeachment inquiry. They lost. In 2007, they nominated Rush Limbaugh, who was an unpaid member of their advisory board, for a Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) He lost. Anyone can nominate (laughs) anyone for a Nobel Prize. (laughs) I know, as we learned just the other day. And since then, they've sort of fallen into the comfortable conservative legal, legal group niche of filing FOIA requests and amicus briefs because you can never really lose with those. Nothing wrong so with a FOIA that. request. Nothing wrong well, with a good FOIA request. Nothing wrong with a good FOIA. But like I said earlier, and like I sort of responded to what you're saying, is this is a way that they could keep claiming they have all these wins when all they're really doing is arguing. You know, if you file a FOIA request, the government has to give you those documents. Sometimes the government says, nah, you can't have those because, you know, they're classified yeah. or blah, blah, blah. And then you go to court, you argue in front of a judge, and then you either are allowed or not allowed the documents. And that's very typical, very easy, and it's not the sort of wins that they try and portray them as, but it is what they fundraise off of. Mm -hmm. Because they get those documents, and then they twist bullshit that's in there to turn into some major scandal that isn't really a big deal. We've seen it a thousand times. It's what they love to do so much, but that's how they make those big wins and get that fundraising money that they're really after. And then with amicus briefs, that is something that you file when a lawsuit is ongoing on the appellate level. And it's basically it's basically it's a friend of the court brief is what it means. Um, and it's just saying, we think you should rule this way because of X, Y, and Z. And if the court does rule in the way that you want, you get to claim it was a win and claim that your brief had something to do with it. If they don't rule in the way that you want, then you say, well, we tried. The courts are just a bunch of Democrats, whatever the fuck they want to do. This is boring. Let's move on. (laughs) I'm very sorry that you're bored with my chosen profession. You've been talking about FOIA for like 10 minutes. Come on. Jesus Christ. Also on the board of directors for Landmark Legal is Edwin Meese. Still alive somehow. Dude is still alive. Von Meese is still alive? (laughs) No, not Von Meese. Okay. Uh, And Hillsdale College President Larry P. Ann. Hillsdale College, I think we've talked about a little bit in the past, radical right-wing pseudo-university out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Levin joined in 1991, and he served as the director of legal policy and the head of their Center for Civil Rights, which is 
strange given that they're against the very concept before becoming president of Landmark Legal in 1997. Yeah, it's a center for civil rights in the in the same way that North Korea is the Democratic Republic of North Korea. (laughs) Very much so. Right. Uh, He remained the president of Landmark Legal until 2018, just a few years ago when he stepped down and. Look, like I said, nobody has done a ton of looking into this guy. Like, so uh, one thing that occurs to me is that it's likely, and I won't say it has happened, but it's likely he has violated legal ethics rules in promoting landmark legal and all the bullshit they do on his number of radio and television programs. I think Mm. it's likely that there uh, might be some bullshit there. It's certainly possible. Certainly possible. I would love to see some intrepid investigative reporters go listen to thousands of hours of him bullshitting over the years to find out whether or not that's true, even though I know nobody's going to do it. But I can always dream. So, you know, that's his his legal career, as much as you can call it one. And to be fair, he has much more of a legal career than basically anybody else. Much more of a career, as a matter of fact, than anyone who we've gone over before on this show. I mean, I think there's only one other person who was a lawyer, and that was Greg Jarrett. Mm. Um, he's the only one Fucking who ever... Greg you know, Jarrett. Right. Greg Jarrett, he was a lawyer. I think, in some respects, uh, uh, Levin has a bit more of an actual career, given that he was with this legal he's advocacy group. in private group practice and, and, stuff. and within a presidential Well, he was doing so. that and doing his radio show for yeah. a long time. And I think at some point, it, it's probably likely that his presidency was basically just fundraising, and he wasn't doing any legal shit anymore. That's mm-hmm. probably pretty likely. Uh, but, you know, he had somewhat of a career. But anyways, the reason why we all know him, we all know he's a blowhard right-wing asshole, but it really has little to do with his career as a political flunky or a lawyer. It has to do with his career as a radio host, because mm-hmm. every right-wing asshole has to go through radio at some point. We really don't talk about it. And I mean, I know we do, but like as a society, we don't talk about like the influence of conservative radio, just normal radio, not even podcasts, just like regular old radio. Yeah. We don't it's talk strange. about it as much as it deserves to be talked about. Because, you know, why do things like Air America not take off, right? Mm-hmm. Why did, when, you know, Sam Cedar was on it back in the day and all that stuff. Why did liberal radio not work? And, you know, people will scream, well, you have NPR. NPR is not liberal radio. NPR is grounded in reality. Yeah. It's just, NPR is very good radio. I fucking love NPR, like any human who loves storytelling does. Uh, but it's not liberal. They just they're they're very even handed. You know, yeah. their thing is literally yeah, as public we have on a guest who's a liberal, we have on a guest who's a Republican. Yeah. You know, they do that all the fucking time. They just happen to not be screeching right wing assholes, so the right sees them as a bunch of liberal nut jobs. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, I don't know. I'd love to dig more into that, but I can tell you, you know, it has been the fact that many of the, I mean Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity began on the radio. Still Where is else on the radio. Would he be? Right? Still, still has, has a radio still show. does his show. Still does his show. It's, yeah, it's rough. But right-wing radio is is so big, and I do not understand why it's taken. Maybe it's because they're slow adapters to new technology. So, you know, TV, podcasts, all this stuff, the left is on it first and sort of leaving the old stuff behind, but radio stays because the old people are used to it. Maybe. It has something maybe. To do. I mean, maybe it's to do with the way that people commute as well, like long drives and, like, obviously you can't, like, New Yorkers can't listen to the radio on the subway, right? Like, that's not... yeah. So yeah. may- maybe it's to do with that and urban, urban maybe. versus Could have rural to do with it. thing. I'd, I'd love to. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. I'll I'm see abso- it absolutely speculating, but that is my guess. <laughs> that is my guess I'll for see. now. I'm sure there's an Atlantic piece on it that I'll be able to find oh, somewhere. Sure. 
So, but anyways, he got his start in broadcasting, primarily through contributing to other crypto-fascist radio shows. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a legal commentator-type guest on Rush Limbaugh's like show for I a long like time. I feel like we, and you in particular, are overusing crypto-fascist. Let's stick mm-hmm. to right-wing now, so we don't have to define I think it terms. applies, though. That's I fine, but let, let, let's stick to let's stick to right-wing slash conservative, because we, otherwise right. we have to define our terms too much. You are, you are, I think I you're really know. overusing crypto-fascist. I am, but I do love the term. And that, you I know you do. saying that because I how know. I... I text to you every day yeah and usually use the term you use you t- you text cri- the word crypto fascist to me at least just once the word a day. that's all i do yeah. i just text not crypto- i'm just accusing clear, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when kevin's mad he calls me a crypto fascist <laughs> when i tell him he no, can't I, do I two hours teach shows. your firstborn child to smoke that's, that's what true. i usually do that's true uh but he was a legal commentator type guest on uh, rush limbaugh while he was at landmark legal Uh, And he made a lot of appearances during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, at which time Sean Hannity heard him on Rush's show and started having him. That's when all the best people came to the fore. All the, you know, the Monica Lewinsky just brought out the best of the American right. Best than everyone. Well, brought out the best of everyone to be. It wasn't just the right, to be fair. Like, (laughs) hey, we got moveon.org out of it, though. (laughs) And Jackbox. Yeah. (laughs) Somehow that turned into being a decent organization. They're a little, they're a little, you know, boomer, mainstream, liberal type, but they're also not bad. They, they do some good stuff. I don't really know what it is, to be honest. So. Uh, it's, it's just, they, they did, like tweet out stuff that's happening. It doesn't matter. Uh, but by 2002, he got his own show on WABC in New York City, which is sort of the big name station in conservative radio. Despite it being an East Coast liberal elitist city, it's you know, really where everyone wants to be because, you know, they're, they're all fucking liars. Uh-huh. Uh, and he apparently took the time slot of Michael Savage's The Savage Nation, which mm. I'm sad to say I was definitely a fan of and listened to a lot when I was driving home from work in, you know, 2011, 2012-ish, when I was still a far-right shitbag. Michael Savage was right during my commute hour, and I listened to a lot of Michael Savage. And that guy, talk about a fucking sociopath. Michael Savage is a bad, bad man. A bad, 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 bad man. A bad, a bad, bad man. Um, And we'll have to do an episode about him someday. But he was also very... One of those people who, like, unlike Glenn Beck, I find Glenn pretty boring. I recognize he has radio chops, but I find him boring. Michael Savage is fucking entertaining to listen to. Okay. Just just outstanding. But never have, so... By 2006, Levin was nationally syndicated. And in 2014, he founded the online rag media website, Conservative Review, which I have to imagine he stole the name because he was mad that National Review wouldn't have him. That's the only way I can imagine he came to that. Probably thought National Review was, t- was a bunch of commies, a bunch of liberal commies. Um, and he punched him, pumped a money, bunch of money into it to develop a number of online TV programs, including his own show, Levin. Mm. And eventually, his outlet, Conservative Review, merged with Glenn Beck's The Blaze to form Blaze Media. Okay. And that's how this all shows out. That's how we get Steven Crowder and all his bullshit. That's why we have all that. It's because Mark Levin wanted a vanity project where he could live stream his own web show. Oh, I forgot and... to tell you. I had a dream. <laughs> this is how fucked up my brain is. Oh, I had great. a dream. I have to listen to your dreams now. Yeah, no, this is irrelevant. <laughs> it's relevant to the show. I had a dream that um you know the masterclass 
thing like yes, the yes. where they get the celebrity instructors i had a dream that dave rubin was doing one of those <laughs> on what was it on comedy <laughs> <laughs> no i think it was on free speech or something my brain was oh ideas or like ideas ideas and we find out there's stuff. actually a dave rubin master class Anyway, that was my, my dream about Dave Rubin getting a masterclass was the funniest thing that Dave Rubin has ever done. <laughs> Probably true. Yeah. I can't argue with that. So, so you want to hear just, about ideas. Well, luckily for yes. you, I have masterclass. Mm. So despite the fact that Levin is one of the more highly educated people we have read and certainly the one with the most substantial actual career, I will say, he is incredibly petty and small. Me too. Okay, Mark, let's go. <laughs> he plays on outrage and insults uh, almost exclusively. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but it's one of those things where you're going to have to trust me in the coming months as we learn more about him. And I think we're going to have to do a thing where I play you clips of him before we do each book review session because there's just the, so much the vibe, of this guy the, to the, get the full vibe. The like, talking when I was, style. When I was pulling clips for today's show, one of the difficulties I had was going, okay, how do I present Mark Levin? Because the only thing of note to say about him is he screams that everything is socialism. Mm. That, that, In the same really way it. that you scream that everything is crypto-fascism? Exactly. That, okay, cool. Exactly. But he does it in a way where it's literally screaming, like actually okay. screaming. There's a lot of yelling going on. Uh, and so I, I saw, you know, I have a bunch of shorter clips to play. We don't have any long clips because a lot of his show is very boring. Um, so we don't have a lot of long clips to play in the long run. But I think one of the things we're going to do is I'm going to play a bunch of clips of him. Like before we start, you know, doing the book review each episode, we might have to listen to a clip or two just okay. to get back into the vibe of who this fucking weirdo is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, you know... This man has exactly one gimmick, and it is screeching about socialism. And he also seems to care an inordinate amount about whiteness. And unlike Tucker and a few other crypto-fascist media types, he's okay. been far more That's open your to last ex- one that you're allowed. explicitly talking about the threat that exists to white people. Mm-hmm. And just give this a listen. I'll play a clip for you. Here, give, I, you can't say it any more than this. Tiffany Cross is on MSNBC. I never heard of her before. Pause it. But uh, immediately she's another pause person it. with a sh- immediately pause. Immediately, these motherfuckers <laughs> love to be like, "I've never heard of this person that I'm playing mm-hmm. on my show." Like, yes. okay, all right, whatever. It's, it's like fame is such a big thing. Like, it, it shouldn't matter, but whatever. Let's go. Never heard of her, but I'm going to talk about her. Yeah, for, exactly. For I'm going to try and ruin her life for ten minutes. Let's go mm-hmm. with a show on Saturday. Maybe that's why I've never heard of her before. But she is uh, aggressively, in my view, anti-white. Cool. Is she? That just rolls off the tongue so bad, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That's not the end of the clip, but God, that's just, oof. That's rough. Not great. And by white, I don't just mean people who have white pigmentation, whatever that means. You said it. You should know what it means. Anti-existing American society and culture. In other words, the... So, okay. so that, that so, bit clarifies nice. that it means even worse than what it sounded Yeah, like. he thinks all American culture comes out of whiteness, whiteness, whatever that means, yeah. Yeah. These are people who hate the country, and Tiffany is among them. 
so he, she she's like he's not just against the people he's also against all of the american culture cool all right cool. Yeah. let's go Oof. keep that, going let's go not great mark come that's, on that's that's the end of that one okay but all there right. is um there there is another bad there are one there I'll are more right okay cool america all of america to chuck schumer on the floor of the senate yesterday If you insist on a lawful immigration system, which Democrats used to insist on, Democrat presidents, Republican presidents, it was bipartisan. And if you object to Haitians pouring into this country Ooh. illegally, what? You're xenophobic. Oh, okay. He, you're xenophobic. That's what he's saying, Chuck Schumer said. So you can have a legitimate concern about what's taking place. I want you to understand that because Chuck Schumer is an extremist and a radical when it comes to open borders. Okay. The, no. Because he's the Democrat leader in the Senate, and this is one of the ways they seek permanent power. Change the voter rolls. Okay. By changing no. the citizenry. Mm. No, that again, no, is, is that's just super racist. Great replacement, white supremacist conspiracy theory. That's yeah. all that is. That's all that is. And he's going to tell us here, he's been talking about it for a long time. Yeah, I would also say that there are Republicans in Congress and the Senate that believe that too. So, sure, or sure. that say say the same thing. So, I mean, not not that that makes it better, but that no, is, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. By changing the demographics. It's so obvious, and yet you're not allowed to say it. And yet I said it over 12 years ago. <laughs> I've been a racist for 12 years. 12 years. For 12 years, he's been preaching the great replacement white supremacist conspiracy theory. Uh-huh. That, oof. It's, it, man, also, it's, it's weird to, like, Donald Trump won the presidency saying that shit. So, like, yeah. who's not allowed to say it? It's this is wild. This is always so weird to me. Like you're not allowed to say this. Like Donald Trump was president until last year. <laughs> I know. It is. It is crazy. You, but 60, so, I mean, 60 plus million people think you are allowed to say that. So it's hardly you know. Don't worry. There's more racism coming in the clips we're playing at the end of the show. Great. Uh, but uh, you know, in 2018, Fox News decided to give that guy his own weekend show sure. on the network. Why which not? I mentioned earlier, it's called Life, Liberty, and Levin. Uh, before throughout his career, uh, he's had an obsession with. Well, like, like I said, he likes to make you know bad nicknames for people. Uh, he seems to like put a Trump. tiny bit more effort into it than Trump does. Um, I think he like I think he had like scary Pelosi might have been one of his. Like okay, okay. that's tiny bit of effort. It's, it's bad. Is it's it? not good, but it's at least more effort than Little Marco, right? <laughs> Little Marco uh, is a killer nickname. <laughs> But uh, he also had an obsession with John Stewart, uh, who he made a point of calling John Lebowitz on his show mm. uh, and poorly attempted to critique his comedy. And famously, he got in a little bit of hot water that didn't amount to anything for calling Stewart a self-hating Jew. Okay. Uh, I believe that was 2007-ish, 2008-ish, sometime around there. I don't remember exactly. Okay. The classic but, Republican yeah, the talking classic. point. The classic. <laughs> In April 2016, Benedict, he went on his show, Levin, went on his show and declared himself a never-Trumper. He okay. was a Ted Cruz man. Okay. 
But by September of 2016, he had bent the knee, kissed the ring, and said he'd be voting for Trump because at his core, he is a fucking pathetic excuse. For sure. All these people do that. He's He's fucking pathetic. Almost immediately following his turnaround, he became one of the biggest Trump supporters out there because principles don't pay the bills, baby. And it was off to the races from there. Uh, He was the primary source of the Trump wiretapping claim shortly after the election, uh, which The Guardian uh, outlined pretty well Uh uh, in a piece they have online. Uh, It's basically like it came down to Levin playing telephone with a right-wing tabloid site called Heat Street and pretending that mainstream sources said things that they did. Oh, God, I remember Heat Street. Right? They used to be so big. What happened to Heat Street? (laughs) It's a tabloid. Um, he has screamed about a deep state, of course, that is out sure. to get Trump. What else would you be doing, really? I mean, just got to talk about the deep state. That's what it's all about. Uh, he is one of the primary people who helped to turn Trump's Ukraine phone call into Biden actually being the bad guy there. And of course, Trump was right to be, in, you know, investigating. That's what the word is for what mm. happened there. Um, and, uh, Pelosi played up the 2020 election conspiracy theories because what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Shortly before the 2020 election, of course, he called for Trump to use the Insurrection Act to put down the wild protests that were going on out in the streets, the Black Lives Matter protests and whatnot mm-hmm. that were going on at the time. And I got to say, I mentioned earlier that he, he uses outrage. Outrage is his, his one trick. He's a one trick pony and it is going for the outrage button. One sec. Uh, just before you get too far into this, Heat Street. Remember who 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 ran Heat Street? No, who? Louise Mensch. It was her oh, website. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Uh but uh in a tw- I'm not the only one to think that he's all about the outrage. A 2016 study done by researchers at Oxford University looked into the use of outrage politics and looked at a number of right-wing, uh, or not, I don't think they just did right-wing, I think they did a bunch of radio hosts. They just primarily used radio hosts uh, and scored him as the host that used outrage the most often. Okay. Which is not surprising to me given that I think legitimately he uses it to cover for a lack of any substance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like anything at all. As far as positions he has more than anybody we've read so far including Dinesh I would say he falls into the everything I don't like is communism camp okay he really does and we're gonna get a lot of that well to be fair Dinesh is like everything I don't like is fascism to some extent uh, true true they use different words they use different words also true also I found there was an interesting article um I think it was in the Atlantic, and it was wh- like something about why main. It was Connor Friedersdorf. It was like why the mainstream media ignores right wing literature, right wing books. It was from like 2012, and it was about Levin's book *Liberty and Tyranny*, which was a 2010 book. Um, and Friedersdorf, like, he's annoying as shit, but he did a short, you know, ah, nobody pays attention. Maybe they should be teaching Hayek in uh, economics classes, and maybe they should be teaching William F. Buckley in journalism school. They should. And not. I was just sitting there going, no. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No. You should teach about those things, yeah. but you shouldn't teach those things because they're just wrong. Um, you know, same way as you teach anything. Uh, but anyways, uh, the, the article that Friedersdorf did, it then went into a very good, I think it was a decent critique of his book and how it was just, you know, screeching about everything being communism and just very paper thin, very mm. little substance. There was even like the National Review criticized his book as being very, very weak. Like a writer at the National Review whose big thing was climate change, reviewed his climate change chapter and said, I can't believe anyone would read this and think they actually learned something from it. 
Like, that's how rough this shit is. It's very, very bad. But anyways, everything is communism, of course. Uh, He's constantly attacking Republicans that he labels rhinos, who, of course, originally were the ones who were voting for Trump and now are those who voted against Trump. Republicans in name only, by the way. Yes. For uh, for Uh, the uninitiated. (laughs) Obama, Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer, of course, are all communists Mm -hmm. in his eyes. Uh, He believes in attacking anyone to the left of Ludwig von Mies as a moral pursuit. And, of course, Benedict, he still believes, probably to this day, if I had to guess, and he certainly believed, as recently as 2009, that death panels were... In the Obamacare bill. Great. Really cool. Now, let me ask you this. This, uh, you were very prescient. You know, you got this debate going on health care by talking about death panels. You use that phrase. And, you know, you're absolutely right about that. What caused you to use that phrase and tell everybody what you meant by that? Marketing. It's so literal to me. I read the health care plan. It, the first version, especially where they claimed there were no death panels, and yet then they took out the death panels. But So that's Sarah Palin there saying, yeah. well, there were death panels in there, and then they took them out, don't you know? By the way, she just lost her fucking lawsuit to I, me I, against I, the New York Times. Just dismissed it, right? Fuck her all the way. But Levin there, of course, saying, you were, you were right about the death panels. You were right, Sarah. No, she was not right about no. the death panels. That was, of course, a bullshit fucking lie. He also believes, though, that uh, there were WMDs in Iraq, mm-hmm. that the media just didn't talk about them, and that's why you don't know about them. Which all goes back to a claim okay. that... Okay, go- if there were WMDs in Iraq, <laughs> the media would have the been Bush the fucking... The Bush administration would have scrawled it on the walls of yeah, every building in Yeah, but also, the media was hyper-responsible for ginning up that attitude. The media would have been super ready to talk about WMDs in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it goes back to there were some soldiers who got sick based off... There were old uh, chemical weapons. Uh, they were like 20 or 30-year-old shells. Uh, in a one particular site, um, and it basically he wants to play that up as though we were right, there were WMDs, and it's like, no, dude, there's just some old shit falling apart that mm. people didn't dispose of properly, and some people got sick from. Still, yeah, just just bad, just bad. And of course, he believes that the Muslim Brotherhood infiltrated our government under Obama, and cool. Obama was a Muslim Brotherhood. Yep, why sympathizer not? Sure. The, how course. did these people just get away with saying? I know free speech and know. shit, but like that is insane. I don't know, man. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. But the book we are reading of his, American Marxism, is not his first book. Uh, as far back as 2005, he wrote Men in Black: How the Supreme Court is Destroying America. <laughs> not anymore, by, presumably. No. Nope. Uh, in 2007, he wrote Rescuing Sprite, a dog lover's story of joy what? and anguish. To be fair, probably the only book he wrote that is not completely toxic, but probably still has some bad bullshit in what? it. What's Somehow. It called? It's called Rescuing Sprite, a dog lover's story of joy and anguish. Wow. You know what? I'd fucking read it. I'd fuck okay. because yeah, I would want that? to see. Can we do that? For I'd, the patron episode? <laughs> I'd want to see if he managed to fit some right wing bullshit oh, into sure. that one. In 2010, he wrote Liberty and Tyranny, a conservative manifesto, which is that one that I told you, uh, Friedersdorf, and also the National Review panned as being pretty paper thin bullshit. Mm-hmm. In 2012, he wrote Ameritopia, the unmaking of America. Cool. 2014, the Liberty Amendments. Sure. 2019, Unfreedom of the press. Amazing. How 
fucking great titles. bad at always, titles do you always have to great be? titles. Unfreedom of the Press. By the way, I do own that book. Uh, <laughs> I, cool. I think I read a chapter or two and I was like, I can't get over the fact that he entitled it Unfreedom of the Press. It was so bad. And of course, in 2021, our current selection, American Marxism. And uh, this book, just a little bit about the book that we're going to be doing, uh, it generated some press back last year because Levin wrote the entire book referring to the Franklin School, Mm. Franklin School, when he meant the Frankfurt School. Yeah. Because, of course, this book is just a rehashing of the old cultural Marxism trope I thought we had left behind in 2015. Nope. That's what this book is. Oh, it was 2018 at the latest. Come no, on. Oh, whenever it was. But it wasn't a mistake he just made in the book. Uh, Salon.com wrote an article about him that found video and, and audio of him uh, calling it the Franklin School on his radio and TV shows as well. So he just didn't fucking know what he was talking about. Of course. Pop Pop doesn't do well with the game of telephone. And it casts a slight bit of doubt. So it casts, the supposed, casts somewhat of a pull over the argument. Yeah, yeah, the supposed expertise he's claiming, and then under the, the, the fact that he wrote this fucking book of the book. Also, Benedict, I did check. The version that you and I have is the corrected version ah, that now says Frankfurt School. But I guarantee you, I will be calling it the Franklin School when it comes up. I, I 100% promise I will be calling it the Franklin School. And uh, I just want to read to you from the inside of the uh, book jacket here, where it says, quote, In American Marxism, Levin explains how the core elements of Marxist ideology are now pervasive in American society and culture, from our schools, the press, and corporations, to Hollywood, the Democratic Party, and the Biden presidency. <laughs> sure. Yep. Marxist Joe Biden. Biden's Marxist? Him. Marxist Joe Biden. Absolutely. That's good. And how it... <laughs> And how it is often cloaked in deceptive labels such as progressivism, democratic socialism, <laughs> social activism, and community activism. Right. Cool. With his, with his characteristic trenchant analysis, Levin digs into the psychology and tactics of these mass movements of the Franklin School, the widespread brainwashing of students, the anti-American purposes of critical race theory. I was super excited to see that we're going to be getting a chapter on critical race theory. Super excited for that. And the Green New Deal and the escalation of repression and censorship to silence opposing voices and enforce conformity. Levin exposes many of the institutions, intellectuals, scholars, and activists who are leading this revolution and provides us with some answers and ideas on how to confront them. I hope it's fascism, like Dinesh suggested at the end of his book. Probably, yeah. Arrest them and put them on trial. As Levin writes, the counter-revolution to the American Revolution is in full force, and it can no longer be dismissed or ignored. For it is devouring our society and culture, swirling around our everyday lives, and ubiquitous in our politics, schools, media, and entertainment. And like before, Levin seeks to rally the American people to defend their liberty. Benedict, this book was a number one New York Times bestseller (laughs) that broke a million copies. Why wouldn't it be? That's just... Seems right. What we're going to be getting into. But Benedict, before we go, why don't we learn a little bit more about the man himself? Let's you, do it. I'm excited. Would you like to hear him say some 
horrifically bad things. I would love to hear him say some stuff. Yeah, let's go. Here's him from February 18th. Or 16th? 18th? Eight. I can't read that. 18th. February 18th, 2020, on his radio show. Talking about a good friend of ours, Mr. Bernie Sanders. Let's go. The minute you come across the border, the Democrats believe that person should get health care. But for cost purposes... If you're elderly, you should not. Tell me, is that the party you want? I'm telling you if the truth. If you're what? I'm telling you the truth. If you're elderly. If oh. you're elderly. It's the old, they're going to kill grandma and grandpa and the, the old folks' home. It's it's death panels again. Yeah. He's doing okay. death panels again no. in 2020. <laughs> Once again, we think everyone <laughs> should get health care. I'm sorry. Like, I, yes. I don't know yes. how else to explain this to you. We tried to do a super sim- simple it, slogan. It is the problem we always run across when we do these books. It's like, all we have to say is, oh, no, that's not it. That's not what we believe. So, And, and we would be done if we didn't commit to actually <laughs> reading all the way through these. Yeah. Truth. And the kind of people Bernie Sanders is pulling around him could come out of the Third Reich. That's right, I said it. <laughs> that's right, he said it. <laughs> Do you see how he works himself oh, up there God. to the yells? Yeah. He wor- he in- he finds a way really to work went himself from zero, up. Zero to 100 that real quick, too. Because, I mean, this man is not in good shape. He yeah. has to get the blood pressure yeah, going okay, somehow. Go. And he works himself up to the yell. The way these people talk and the things that they say. Sorry, Somebody has to have it. the guts to point it out. Again. Somebody has to have the guts oh, to speak out. Somebody uh, has to have the guts. Okay. F- first of all, there weren't many Nazis, I don't think, <laughs> that were like, hey, we want to give everyone free health care. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Also, there weren't very many Jewish Nazis. No. I will say, to be fair, there actually were a couple. I looked into this a while back. There were a couple of Jewish Nazis. Well, yeah, I mean, there were uh, a couple do- at the time of. Don't World War say II. that because there you'll were a- validate everyone going, "Yeah, George Soros." No, mm-hmm. that's not what I mean. There were a, there were a couple dozen. You know, like there were some people I'm who sure like, had a Jewish relative, maybe had a little bit of Jewish heritage, and there were also like irrelevant a handful for our of people purposes. who were actually Jewish and just you know really hated people and wanted to be part of that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this 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 is how he he does it. It's not done yet. Whenever anyone is like, I'm so brave to say this in I their know. Own, own radio show. No, you're show. the biggest fucking coward. Fuck off. Sitting in your cushy studio in front of a microphone. You Go know what we yourself. do, Kevin? What we do is brave. This, this shit, is brave. brave. This is brave. <laughs> Even though I'm condemned left and right, too damn bad. Condemned, dude. You have a national. I mean, he radio is condemned, but it's because up. he says heinous shit yeah, like this. Yeah, this is why. Yeah. Lots of long pauses. People always say, "Why didn't anyone say anything?" Well, I'm saying it. The man leading the Democrat Party right now is embracing an Islamo-Nazi mentality. <laughs> What? <laughs> when it comes to the Jewish state. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, first of all, I didn't realize Bernie, Bernie Sanders was president. Carry no, on. No, this, yeah. uh, this was the uh, man, February of 2020. So man, to be fair, the primaries were still yeah, ongoing Yeah, I know, I know. And Bernie was leading at the time. Every proposal he has is not merely to fundamentally transform one institution or another. It's to burn them down to the ground. 
It's, that's Marx. It's that's no Engels. Okay, all right. It's normally to build that's them up, Hegel. actually. <laughs> Hegel, Jesus. And Alinsky. Oh, wow, Saul Alinsky. They Bernie love Sanders. Saul Alinsky. They love to no, pretend like, that we love Saul Alinsky. The every long pauses time. this guy makes I keep is thinking you've paused you it. It absolutely gonna, is throwing no, me off every time. No, I've never time. paused it. That was just him. It's throwing me off every time. It's crazy. <laughs> this man pauses so much. And I will say, he he understands the art of the pregnant pause, but it might be the only art he understands. Yeah. So he may overuse it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So yes, Benedict, uh, these people, they would have been so fucking happy if Bernie Sanders had won... Oh, we've been doing the content for years. Oh God, they would have—they would have been a joy. It would have been a joy to them. Absolutely joyous. Let's see some more of Mark Levin. So we have our Soviet-style industrial plan in place, except in unlike 2010, Stalin, by the way. who actually wanted to grow his economy, but of course he was a commie, and hence what? A nut. Okay. These guys want to kill the economy. No, they don't. Nobody wants to kill the economy. That's the dumbest complaint it's any so right winger ever makes. These and I, we talked about this before yeah. on the show. Every time someone says they hate America, they want to destroy America, I'm like, okay, we can't even have a conversation. Yeah, because you're just dumb. you're just going straight for nonsense hyperbole that yeah. means nothing. Nobody really wants mean is to they destroy a, America. What you really mean, if you're honest, and I, I actually don't think he, I think he may actually believe that they do want to destroy America in the sense of they would like to see it all burned to the ground and and crushed. I think he might actually believe that. Yeah, but, but nobody nobody wants to destroy the country that they're leading. No, of course they, not. They want to remake it in their own image, not destroy it. We have a different it, idea of the way the country should operate yeah. and exist. That's the reality of the situation. But I just can't, I can't respect people who use that stupid fucking, they it's want to destroy America. Yeah, I mean, like, Stalin didn't want to destroy the USSR. No! But, like... He just wanted to be the dictator of it. Yeah. Yeah, shit happens uh, when you're the way, dictator. Like. My my favorite meme I've seen recently, I just had to, you know, memes, uh, is, uh, I think it was Marx and Trotsky, and it was the Anakin and Princess Sandra, oh, yeah, whatever the fuck. And it was, <laughs> my, or not Marx and Trotsky, it was uh, uh, Stalin and, and Trotsky. Stalin, yeah, and Stalin, Stalin saying, you know, I quite like the idea of a dictator. And Trotsky saying, dictator of the pro proletariat, right? <laughs> Dictatorship right. of the proletariat, right? <laughs> and then just Stalin smirking. Yes, I fucking love that <laughs> so much. That's a good one. By the way, Turn I did around. not pause. He's been pausing. Again. <laughs> Jesus. How great would that be if he was just paused that whole time? That whole time. 30% of the country's oil refining capacity is going to be shut down. Or Didn't otherwise interfered with. How's that make you feel? Fine. Now, here's the deal. It's like government-run health care. You don't actually feel the impact of this yet, but you will. <laughs> that, I like that line because it reveals so much of their strategy that they don't have to prove the effects because you will feel them in the future. And like Glenn Beck with what we saw with his strategy is the way you beat this is by watching my show. Mm -hmm. And like we saw with our buddies who wrote uh, None Dare Call It Conspiracy, the way that they win is by saying, well, the way you beat this is by buying our book and okay. telling people it's it's there's no losing with this strategy if you convince people that uh it's something that will happen but hasn't happened yet and we can beat it if you just listen to my show and you know give money to all my sponsors that's the way you go about doing this the way you you fix this problem but benedict uh we, we heard him talk to sarah palin earlier um not the only loser he has backed um uh, about uh, a little guy by the name of um uh, 
Oh, fuck, what's his first name? Well, we'll hear him say it. Doug Hoffman came out of nowhere. He wasn't even on my radar screen till about a month ago, and I was the second nationally syndicated host to endorse him. Sure. After Fred Thompson. It's Fred Thompson, the actor, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that Fred Thompson. <laughs> this is from 2009. It's about a guy who was running for, I think, a Pennsylvania um, legislative seat. And yet, despite the hundreds of thousands of dollars spent against him by the Republican establishment in Washington, the Republican establishment in Albany, hundreds of millions spent against him by the Democrat establishment in Washington and the Democrat establishment in Albany, despite the fact that a liberal, phony Republican stabbed him in the back all the way into the the ballot box, the man came within 5 or 6% of winning. Did he? You know what he is? He's a winner. Okay. But he Did lost. He? Yeah, he lost. <laughs> yeah. Famous, wait, famous wait, wait, winner wait. who lost. It gets better. He will be back. No. And if he wants to be the congressman from the 23rd district next year, he will be. Benedict Doug Hoffman ran to be the congressman for the 23rd district the next year in 2010, and he lost. Mm. You know what that makes him? A winner. <laughs> I just enjoyed that one so much to see, see him. Uh, just praising an obvious loser so yep. much. It was really great. It was really great. All right, Bennett, we have four clips left. I see oh we're going Oh, my God, on. that's so many. Uh, well, they're all very short. I want, to, I want to give you the chance to choose your own torment, as I so often like to do. So okay. one, two, three, four, give me a number. Okay, how many have? of them are we doing? Until you get pissed off and storm off the show. Okay, that's now. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we'll do two more, and we're doing uh, one and three. Those are the two one that we're doing. One and three. All right, Ben. Number one, this is from ooh, 2021. You picked okay, one from, good. from yep. last year. Need a modern this one. is on his, his uh, television show on Fox News. Now, I want to talk to the Republicans, particularly in the United States Senate, but also in the House. Any Republican who doesn't stand up to this on January 6th. Ooh. I have to go back to the beginning of this because I forgot a very important piece of information, which is that this episode was recorded on January 4th, okay. 2021. So it's going to be a fun, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. This is going to be fun then. Let's go. To the Republicans, particularly in the United States Senate, but also in the House. Any Republican who doesn't stand up to this on January 6th, win, lose, or draw, it's the principle, it's the issue. The American people need to understand you're Mm. serious about defending the Constitution. You are shredding the Constitution along with all those Democrats and the Democrat Party who put the nation in this position. Do you understand me, Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell. Benedict, you want to take a guess on what his stand post-January 6th has been? Uh, that it was not, that it was a legitimate protest. Antifa! And not, yeah. It oh, was Antifa! Really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wouldn't have guessed He's that. one of those types. I wouldn't have guessed that. One of those. Well, you know, to be fair, he has, uh, I believe he said Antifa early on. He's tried to downplay it and say it not a big deal. And of course, in more recent months, uh, that weird guy who was from Arizona that's a QAnon follower is actually an FBI plant. Mm. It's become Oh yeah, they love the that thing. too. They love that dude. Do you think this? Do you think there's a Mark Levin to Tucker Carlson pipeline here? Because Tucker's been saying some, or the other way around, even. I I think Levin more often. He's not a newsmaker. He's a follower. Okay. He follows the flow more often than anything else, and he just happens to run in a bit crazier circles than Tucker and everybody else does. So he it might hit him first. Okay. Before it it goes because 
if you listen to some of the callers to his radio show, they're saying some batshit crazy stuff. Fun. Okay. And then he will go and repeat it later as though it's fact mm-hmm. because a caller told him. I don't remember off the top of my head what it was, but there was an article I was reading. It might have been in The Nation. I think it was called like the anti-intellectual intellectuals of the right or something like that. Um, and it talked about how he made a story that was basically just him repeating something a caller had told him the previous day. And that then be- that became a source. And that was real information that was out there. It might have been that article. It might have been somewhere else. I'll try and find it for another episode. But yeah, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Benedict, last clip. This one, I believe, is again from his radio show. Okay. And this is from September 2020. Okay. I'm trying to think of what was going on in the world September 2020. I mean, preparing for the election, right? I mean. Yeah. People are trying to overthrow the government. Cool. It's an amazing thing, as I keep saying. Early on during this, you might recall the, uh, the mostly peaceful protesters who were pulling down statues. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Indiscriminate. Oh, yeah, by the way, he always calls his producer Mr. Producer. Oh. You know how Glenn Beck will talk to his producer, I don't know, Doug or whatever the fuck that yeah. guy's name does is? He, does he just not have a producer? Or he, like... he has a producer. He just calls him... I think it's also like a rhetorical thing of saying Mr. Producer. Because okay. he doesn't like wait and listen to whoever's talking. I think he just does that sort of, you know, to reference a, an imaginary person. But also, I have heard him say, Mr. Producer, who's on the line. <laughs> so I think he's also okay. sometimes talking to his actual producer. Cool. Um, cool. So did the they were uh, yeah. uh, Abolitionists, Abraham Lincoln, Louis, Louis, uh, Ulysses S. Grant. So he, I don't remember anybody pulling down a Lincoln statue. Do no. you? Because that, uh, uh, I think there was, was the one. There was one. There was the one in Boston that was eventually replaced. Of, yeah, but I mean, well, it was re- not, certainly not a big deal. Right. There was the one in Boston that eventually got replaced because it had a slave kneeling at his feet. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, was yeah, bad. That. And the yeah, summer I spent optics. in Boston, I walked past that thing every day because yeah. it was on my way uh, to the house where I was staying. But I don't remember any Abraham Lincoln statues going down as well as Confederate generals, as well as Catholic icons. It's an amazing thing. And Nancy Pelosi got out, and uh, Eva Pelosi. What? And she said... Uh, Eva Pelosi. These Confederate... I don't... I think that's uh, Eva Braun he's attempting oh. to compare her to. <laughs> okay. If I had to guess. Sure. I don't... I don't know why. Whatever. Confederate generals. They should be removed. Why? Why should they remove? Because they were trying to overthrow the government. Yes. That's what she said. That is correct. And that's exactly what Antifa and Black Lives Matter is doing, and they don't talk about that. And that's real. You know, they're not statues. Those are real people with real Molotov cocktails. What? His stance is that uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they're they're the ones who are actually trying to— not those Confederates. It's the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa. Oh, they're I the see. ones. I see, the, but there are no, there are no statues to Antifa. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? I hope there are in twenty years or so, though. <sighs> I really hope that some Antifa statues do go up. That would that would really be great. Benedict, that's the clips we had. I'll just tell you what the titles of the other ones that we didn't get to are. Um, Mark Levin accuses Democrats of wanting to brown America to right. change election results. Glad we didn't leave, listen to that yep, one. Yep. Yep. Fox host suggests white privilege doesn't exist because of who fought in World War I and World War II. Everyone. 
I don't believe he recognizes some of the people who no. fought in, that, in those wars. Wasn't that like one of the big deals of like of the whole segregation the thing? Where they were yeah, like, I they came home and, his whole and they thing were is, like, well, oh, white we... people fought. That's not white. Pri- is it white privilege that white people got to die? It's like, no, it's it's white privilege that they got to reap all the benefits of coming home from the war. That's yeah. what that's all about. And, <laughs> and they, not uh, being redlined when and... they came home. Yeah. yeah, all that sort of stuff. And the last one we didn't listen to, Benedict Fox's Mark Levin says, Rep Alejandria Ocasio-Cortez would have been a terrific executioner in Stalin's regime. Oh, no, Stalin wouldn't have let a woman pony. be an executioner. <laughs> <laughs> this dude's a one-trick pony. Benedict. Yeah, that is all he stuff. is. But all right, well, I can't wait for the book. That's exciting. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna learn a lot more about this crazy motherfucker as we are going through this book, and I think it's it's gonna be good. It's, yeah, it's it's that level of crazy we've been looking for, and that we were so missing during Buckley's book. Um, he's got some batshit stuff in there. There's a lot of cultural Marxism stuff. There's uh, Hegelian dialectic. There's great. critical race theory. All this great stuff in this book. So I'm really excited. We got something current and something that is is it's that white. We found that dra- we found the dragon, Benedict. We've been chasing the dragon. Let's go. We finally found it. But that's it. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early release of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Shannon Hailman, Utah Outcasts, Paws, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Lisa, Tarn Somerville Fletcher, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taro Tacannon, Skeptical Seventh, and Balls Watterson and George Soros. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, everybody dance now! Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>